I believe that the revolution, if there's going to be a revolution, is really going to be more people going back to the land. You know, I was had a house in a gated community with palm trees around my pool and had a lot of money in the bank and we had a good restaurant business. And I kind of gave all that up to take on a second job that's even harder than owning restaurants. And I did that because I believe passionately that it takes all of us, that we are the ones we've been waiting for. There isn't going to be any government policy. There isn't a left or a right. There isn't anyone that will save us. It's only about us, the people, choosing to make decisions differently. I hope that I can inspire more people to get on land, grow their own food, create hub and spoke models around local food. And I believe we'll always need supplemental um, foods grown in other places. But we've almost extinguished the local food system in this country. And I'd like to bring that back. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, many people say it's about time that we close the loop here in the food system because we waste a lot of food. And there's got to be a way to put it all together. Well, my guest today has put it all together, has from restaurants to farms to uh, you've, you've done it all, Molly. So Molly Englehart, I'm glad I finally got you on Farm to Table Talk. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Molly, you got a really interesting story. I was looking at some of the information you got online, and of course, not surprisingly, you start off as a kid and a, a and a, and a barefoot kid in northern New York or something like that. Yes, my father was an apple farmer and um, a small twenty-seven acres of apples, and my mom sold dresses at the farmers market, and so I grew up um, growing our own food and being very related to food. Even before we, my mom made dresses and sold them, she worked at a bakery and some of the flour that would get buggy, she would like put in the freezer and sift the bugs out and take it home for us to eat because we were super poor and it was organic bakery that she worked at. And so we ate a lot of pancakes, a lot of day old bread uh, growing up and we grew a lot of our own food. So I grew up in a world where we honored um the sacrifice of farmers and we grew our own food as well. Well, you know, some people would go through that experience and say, okay, there's got to be something better. I mean, that the fact that you had some hard times and you were getting that experience where you're growing up, uh, I think that did you have like siblings that decided just the exact opposite of you and saying, oh, okay, <laughs> you're shaking. Uh, my brother yeah, I just bought this property in Texas and my brother just bought part of the property from me and we're going to Homestead together. Um, and so, no, we didn't have any siblings and we had it adopted. Uh, well, my cousin was kind of adopted into our household um, and he ended up he passed away early um, from an accident, but he was a regenerative farmer in Hawaii. Uh, my mother is a farmer. My father is a farmer in Idaho was in Northern California, now in Idaho. 
And um, so all of us are, and my brother started the organization Kiss the Ground, which is a nonprofit that focuses on soil. Oh, so, I know oh, all about that. And actually, you know, and I've, I've done podcasts about Kiss the Ground and, and I, you know, read the books, all the movies. There's another one coming out now, right? Isn't there? Yes, yes, yes. We're in Texas. Part of why we're in Texas is for the premiere in Austin. And my brother's in New York for the premiere this weekend. Ah, well, I was talking to somebody. We got to get it in Sacramento. You're skirting around California. You don't have count. Let me know. I know a few people. We could help get something set up maybe in Sacramento. Excellent. Yeah, we're trying to we're coming out in like 19 theaters and we're trying to make these first weekends where we're coming out do well so we can get into more movie theaters before we go to whatever streaming service. Okay, we got to fill in the gap. So far, we've got one end of this that's got you barefoot in New York. And uh, and then we've got the other end of it that you're in Austin, for crying out loud, where you're doing getting ready to have a movie premiere and a farm and all sorts of stuff like that. So we got a little space to fill in, Molly, and you're busy. So let's let's try to fill that in because you actually left the farm. You went yep. somewhere. I moved to Los Angeles and went to film school and. I then worked in the music industry for some time. Then the music industry had a major crash and restructuring. Um, and I went into doing poetry. I was on HBO Deaf Poetry Jam. I uh, did a bunch of stuff uh, toward the country with doing poetry. And then I was growing pop for a little while. And um, and then I started an ice cream shop with my best friend, my dad and Woody Harrelson are friends and they were doing like a raw competition. And so I made a raw vegan ice cream and I'm, and, and everybody was like, you should start your own, whatever you should have your own ice cream line. And then at that time to get it packaged in packages, it was gonna be like $30,000 to get the package. And I thought maybe I should just start an ice cream shop for scoops. And that's where the whole food journey of the restaurant started is me and my best friend started a vegan ice cream shop. Um, and that didn't last that long. I realized it was too narrow of a business. You need to have a wider audience. And that's when we went to having vegan restaurants with, of course, scoopable vegan ice cream. And I went on doing that for some time. And I was kind of indoctrinated or brainwashed into the, you know, cows and animal products are the problem. And the solution is going vegan. And I believed that. And I watched a Graham Sate TED talk in 2013 that just blew my mind. And I thought, wow, soil, sequestration of carbon in soil and composting of food scraps so it doesn't turn to methane literally solves this crisis that everybody keeps talking about. And we have a solution. And it was the first time I'd felt hopeful in a long time. And I started shopping to get a farm so I could start composting my food scraps. And that's yeah. how we got to where we are today. We could have stretched that last three minutes out into a whole hour conversation <laughs> because you're dropping all sorts, dropping some names there that I've heard before. It hasn't been on the podcast yet. But then this this whole process, though, of kind of the awakening of saying, wait a minute, we can do better. And then part of that, then you, you're going to get a restaurant started. So you get a restaurant and let, tell, tell us about the restaurants that you have right now, too. Um, so I have three restaurants in Los Angeles. I used to have four, but the pandemic was pretty hard on the restaurant industry in California. Um, and we had one restaurant that opened during the pandemic. It was already in 
construction well and was getting ready to open in March of 2020. And then that happened and we were like, oh, they said two weeks, three weeks, five weeks. Should we open? Should we not? That restaurant did not survive, um, basically, to say. Uh, but I still have three other restaurants in Los Angeles and they are vegan um, restaurants and they're farm to table. So they're very local, hyper local ingredient sources. And we don't use any of the fake meats or anything like that. It's all whole foods. Um and I am not a didactic vegan. I'm not even a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. But I don't think that there's one diet for everybody. And just like I don't think there's one religion for everybody or one lifestyle. So when people think like, whenever someone says they have the way, I'm always like, steer clear. Because yeah. there's lots of pathways that work for lots of different people. And I always say, as long as you're eating awake and you're eating conscious, then you're my ally. And if you're eating asleep and without presence to what where your food is coming from, then you're part of the problem. And it doesn't matter what you're eating. It matters how you're eating. Yeah. I just listened to another podcast the other day about how we're going to eventually be matching up what our microbiomes need. Because all of our microbes are a little different. And, you know, ours, you know, you just need different stuff you respond to. But you're kind of in the business of uh, making microbes. I mean, you're I <laughs> you're you're closing a loop, and you're getting back to even making soil. So you've got these, so you got these three restaurants, and I've got people listening all over the country and some around the world that listen to Farm to Table Talk podcast. So can you give a broad picture of like what parts of Los Angeles you're in? Is it like north or south, or by the by the water, yes. or what? So we have a Culver City and a Pasadena and uh echo park uh so echo park is by downtown pasadena is its own little area and then we used to have a big restaurant in culver city but recently we uh went to a to-go only model uh as the business shifted through covid and my lease was up uh we made a decision to go to a smaller model it was a big five thousand square foot restaurant and so uh we have those three restaurants and so they're kind of spread out around uh, town and a truck goes every day or every other day and picks up all the food scraps from those restaurants and brings it back to my farm and with also spent grain from my brewery and from other breweries and then we turn that into either animal feed or compost and we have built beautiful dark black rich soil to the tune of 18 inches all over my farm and with water infiltration that's like 10 10,000 times more some crazy number more than what it was just five years ago and we've done all that essentially just by taking the cow manure from our cows and mixing it with the scraps from the restaurant and constantly giving it back to the soil and so I believe what's possible by putting waste where it belongs and I say waste in a as a term so people understand but um i haven't bought i on 17 on one piece of property i have 17 acres we grew five hundred thousand dollars worth of produce last year and i didn't buy any inputs except for hay to feed grass hay to feed my cows no other inputs boy that's and, great and so on 17 acres and I, I used half the water that any of my neighbors used just growing avocados or just growing oranges or just growing lemons and their income was probably somewhere between 30,000 and 75,000. Now, of course, they had less labor than I had. 
But I also think that in the context of the world, we have to see labor as actually community and not as a liability. We've mm -hmm. often look at labor as a liability, but we can't live in a world where towns just disappear because we just have one man on one tractor and tons and tons of acreage. We need there to be animals and we need there to be, then there's a vet and then there's a feed store and then there's people sure. to take care and then it creates community. So I think in the realm of the quantity of food, we do know it's possible to grow a lot, a lot of food the way I'm doing it, but it does take more labor. And that's a hundred percent true. You, you've said several things that keep perking me up here. One of them is that you said that you produced $500,000 worth of produce off of uh, off of that acreage. And there's a lot of people out there that just say, well, this is all fine, but you really can't make a living with these, you know, small farms. But you can make a living uh, if, you, if you farm like that. Yes, you can. But it takes being willing to be thinking outside the box. We have our vegetable program. So we do boxes that go delivered. We do farmer's markets. We have a cannery license. And so we make pickled jalapenos and, you know, the things that maybe we have a ton of something, we can can it, make it shelf stable. So we are being innovative in how we are doing stuff. And so it's not just doing one kind of vision, but it's really looking at the whole farm and saying, what can we do with that? Or what can we do with that? And sometimes, you know, there's things that I'm not even noticing that are money. Recently, I have a lot of rosemary growing around the farm, like, and I couldn't, I was just, and, you know, I didn't really think of it. We sold a little rosemary to the restaurants. It was a minimum order when I bought the plants. And so there's a lot of it around. And then I talked to a guy and he's like, oh my God, I can take 20 pounds a week. And I can, and I can tell it took you up to this other herb guy. And so you know, you have to like, not, it's not, is that a ton of money? Is that going to make or break me? No, it's $500 here or there for rosemary, but it's a perennial. It takes very little effort. And then it's going to be this constant income coming in from the farm, even if it's a little. So we, we do have a lot of micro incomes, to be honest. And that takes more willingness to think and look at the whole picture. You know, speaking of the whole picture, you said a couple more things. You keep saying things, and I and I keep saying, wait a minute, I got to ask her about that. So you mentioned cows, which I didn't expect to come up in the conversation. Be, starting with the vegan restaurants, what do the cows do in this in this cycle of yours? We have a lot of animals in our cycle. So um, our cows are um, dairy cows, and they're in confinement. They are not because. My acreage in California is small. I have 17 acre plot and I have a 28 acre plot and they're not big acreage. I cannot graze the cows because sure. we buy grass hay for them and they're in confinement. So we use their manure for uh, making compost. And then uh, we have sheep that are short sheep and we use those for grazing in the hop yard and in the vineyard, and in the orchards. They're short. They're a baby doll, Dorper cross. So we did used to just have played baby doll, but they're not very vigorous. So I've kind of bred them back to some small Dorpers. And and I and so I keep a short herd of sheep for cleaning up areas. Mm -hmm. And then um, we have chickens and mobile chicken coops that go through. And chickens will really clean it down to nothing if you want to make an area clean to plant and it's got 
Bermuda grass, got anything, you can really use a chicken to overgraze and then plant, you know, into that overgrazing uh, to get it down to nothing. Oh, this is great. Now, like the cows, you end up getting manure, but is it, are they like on, uh, is there a section that's concrete that you can clean them up into what manure spreaders or something like that to be able to get into the compost piles? So we have a gentleman, Roberto, so it's sand They're They're in, they have a good amount of space and it has like arena sand in the sure. bottom. Um, and then we have a gentleman that comes every evening where I think we're his second job. And so he comes in the evening, he works just a short time and he gets in there with the Bobcat. He scoops, scoops, scoops all the poops into the Bobcat. And so nothing ever builds up. They're never like in tons sure. of poop. And then it goes into the compost pile or goes into the, vermicompost and then with the vermicompost we can make compost tea and then with the regular compost it gets mixed with the juicer scraps from the restaurant the bases of the cauliflower cabbage the tops of the carrots the bottoms of the carrots the celery you know all the stuff that doesn't go into the um but it's all pre-consumer because that's the rules it's weird like you can feed I think you can feed pigs or livestock post-consumer waste, but you can't put post-consumer into the compost pile in California. There's weird uh, rules. But uh, so we bring everything home and the stalks from the kale and all that stuff gets composted with the cow poop and the hay scraps that they don't eat that gets trampled onto the ground. And then all the cows and the sheep we every time we weed we weed everything they get all those greens go back to the cows so they're getting greens and then they get spent grain um the chickens and the cows and the sheep get spent grain from the brewery so it's all kind of in this circle you know somebody is scratching their head right now and say compost tea tell me tell me again what that is um so we have this really amazing kind of flow through vermicompost and so it's imagine it's like a grate on the bottom and then there's worms inside of it and then you put food scraps or cut or poop into it and the worms eat upward and the worms are always going to the new food and so what's on the bottom is left is just full um, worm castings and those worm castings fall through the bottom there's a grate that scrapes them and then you can aerate those with maybe molasses or some other kind of sugar, multiply those microbiology that's in there and then water it out to the soil. Now let's start back in the kitchen again. So you're, you're getting these scraps. So I can see that you could like peel potatoes and you can cut the greens off of carrots and stuff like that. Is that, uh, is that the main kind of thing that is going into the compost? Yes. Technically the, anything that went out to the customer is not supposed to go into the compost seems like a waste but we won't get into that right now but i mean uh, just seems definitely like it should a waste be. but you can feed it to pigs so i don't know and you can feed it to chickens so like whatever's coming from the um the dish pit would go to pigs or go to chickens yeah yeah i i could kind of see that when i was in college i was a dish captain in the girls dormitory uh-huh. So I was standing there with all the stuff that was coming in and we were scraping it off and putting it down and grinding it up, except when it was like great fried shrimp, they just didn't eat. I put them in my pockets and taken home to my roommates. Yeah, so. that sounds good. <laughs> but they wouldn't let me put it in a compost pile, probably. Uh, but, we, we catch we catch employees in the back hallway by the dish pit drinking people's cocktails that they uh, didn't uh finish mm-hmm. it's it's just 
it's just really, really uh, exciting. Uh, and now let me let me get back to this because the other thing you're growing in addition, you got these cows, you got some sheep, you've got all this produce that you're producing, but then you're growing soil. I mean, that's incredible. So you take this compost out, you get it in compost ball, and it's still a, a magic to me that you can see this good, rich black soil that's a that's a product of yours. Oh, I mean, it's amazing. And if you think about the human microbiome, like you were talking about earlier, it's 70% compatible with a um with a healthy gut. And so healthy soil and healthy gut are meant to go together. Yeah. And the that they don't like necessarily go together is because we do eat a lot of food that comes from sterile environments or is sterilized on its way to us in order to make it last longer. And I understand the reasons for all of that, but the it's compelling evidence that we want to eat at least a percentage of our diet from a local healthy soil source because it replenishes our microbiome. Yeah. Now this brings a, a one of the final loops here I want to get circle back to is where this all ends up because people are choosing to come to your restaurant. I'm, tell me about those customers. Uh, how often are you able to confirm that this is important to them? I mean, that your story of, of putting this whole thing together and managing this loop the way that you are, does it connect with your with your customers? Is it very one restaurant more than another or anything like that? Interesting. At, at, during COVID, I thought, oh my God, we're connecting. We were doing so, so, so good. And as, as far as like the veggie boxes and people getting it and everything, but then I realized they were just as scared to go to the grocery store because it really fell off afterward. Um, and so, you know, I think that it, and we have video TVs up and stuff, but part of why I'm doing this project in Texas is because I really do want people to connect like where your food comes from. So we're doing this 30 tiny house village with an event space, a place to come and eat food, walk in greenhouses, look at the food, see every, the cow, see everything and, and, and be connected. And so that is like really, really, really what I'm trying to do uh, is get people to connect with their food. And it is hard on a TV screen in LA. So I'm hoping this new hospitality venture that I'm doing where people come and it's more of an immersive experience, we really will have them connect. But some people, you know, do send me emails and reach out and tell me like, I am only going out to dinner once a week nowadays because of my budget, but I just want you to know I'm spending with you because it matters. And I do get emails like that, but I'm not sure how much people care. I'd love people to care more. Yeah. Well, I want them to care more too. I think people that listen to this podcast care more. I'm just, uh, I hear from enough of them that I think this is important to them. And I think people don't hear enough about the kind of thing you're doing, but not enough people are doing what you're doing. So let me, uh, let me just kind of wrap up in a couple quick things. One is you mentioned Texas again. Tell me again, what it is you're doing in Texas. Um, so I bought 250 acres and we're building a hospitality on-farm brewery, retreat center, on-farm restaurant. So it's super rural. It's going to be a destination. It's not like you're just going to be walking down the street and you'll say, let me check out that. It's going to be something where you make a plan, you make a drive, you go there. And it's we're going to have 30 tiny houses that you could rent out. There's going to be an on-farm brewery that's going to distribute beer to you know local wherever people 
uh, buy beer, but we'll be have an on-farm tap room and food opportunity as well. That'll be all based on what the ranch is producing and is seasonally available. And then we're going to have an event center space for doing weddings or birthday parties or quinceaneras or Christmas parties, whatever you would want to do. Um, and it's going to be all of that, you know, in one. So you could have a glamping experience or you could have a little higher end house experience. You can, and we're going to do different kinds of education here, education around regenerative farming, around soil, uh, around, uh, you know, we're doing a, some natural building seminars in this coming up year where people are going to stay in the tiny houses and we'll provide them food, regenerative food. And then they're going to learn about air creek or, you know, cob building. And we're doing the uh, an event here around the eclipse that's coming up. And there's going to be another event around the eclipse in April. And so we'll be doing all different things where people can come be on the farm and just really immerse themselves in being connected to the ground, to the earth, because we are so insulated from nature in so many ways. And I believe that the revolution, if there's going to be a revolution, is really going to be more people going back to the land. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, I was had a house in a gated community with palm trees around my pool and had a lot of money in the bank and we had a good restaurant business. And I kind of gave all that up to take on a second job that's even harder than owning restaurants. Um, and I did that because I believe passionately in that it takes all of us, that we are the ones we've been waiting for. There isn't going to be any government policy. There isn't a left or a right. There isn't anyone that will save us. It's only about us, the people, choosing to make decisions differently. And so I made a big decision differently and sold my house and did that. And now I'm making a big decision differently to move to Texas and do this. Um, and so I hope that I can inspire more people to get on land grow their own food, create hub and spoke models around local food. And I believe we'll always need supplemental um, foods grown in other places, but we've almost extinguished the local food system in this country. And I'd like to bring that back, some part of it. I tell you, Molly Engelhart, there's people that are hearing this right now saying, I want her to come here. I was just in the last couple of weeks, I've been in Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana and Illinois. And I guarantee you there are people that all say, wait, what's this with Austin and Los Angeles? Come here. And if people want to try to talk you into coming there or come out and visit you first and see what's going on at your restaurants in L.A. or this project in Texas, how do they keep up with what you're doing? Um, so the, my restaurants are Sage Vegan Bistro and you can, they have a website, you can look them up. Uh, my farm in California is called Soa Heart Farm and we have an Instagram, it's at Soa Heart. And uh, my uh, ranch in, Cal in Texas is called Sovereignty Ranch and that also has an in Instagram, Sovereignty Ranch, and you can look it up. And I'm Chef Molly on Instagram and you can email me at molly at any of those, Molly at SageVeganBistro.com or Molly at Sovereignty Ranch or Molly at SoaHeart.com. And it's Molly with an IE. But I'd love to hear from you. I love to hear what other people are doing. Um, 
my dad always said, if you don't have a big foolish project like Noah, you're not playing uh, hard enough. And so I play hard at life and it's sometimes hard or stressful or scary, but I believe that term, we, the people in the constitution, I took it really seriously. Like we, it's up to us. There's no one there to save us. And so I really want to try new things and bring back old things that did work that we've strayed from around food. Because when you look at studies that say by 2040, the average sperm count of a male will be zero. And my, I have, I don't know if you heard the baby crying in the background. I mean, I have a five month old and I have a three-year-old and I have a a six-year-old and I have an eight-year-old. Like I don't want my sons to not be able to have children because of everything that's in our food and our water and our soil. And I don't think that the EPA or anybody is going to save us, but we can join together and support each other in growing good food. And we all can't grow everything, but we all can support each other and vote with our dollars every day because whatever you vote in the ballot box matters only a tiny bit compared to how we vote with our dollars every day. Well, as someone once said that I found very impressive, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Molly, you're the one that said that (laughs) in this conversation. I I love that. I love that. Do we have to give credit to anyone else or is this just something you dreamed up yourself? I don't know. It's something that we've been saying in my family, so I'm not sure who Uh, exactly, but we've always been saying when you want my, I complained to my dad about the government or or this or that, he'd say, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Oh, well, it's your dad. We're going to give him credit. And I I tell you, since you're in the food business and you're doing all this stuff, at some point we'll have to have you come back. And I know you got a background in music. This can either be a song or you got uh, put in a poem. And when you get it ready, let me know. We'll have you back. <laughs> okay. Hey, Molly, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thank you for making a show that really highlights all the different ways that we eat and how important it is to um, give thanks to that and, and recognize all that goes into every meal that's on every plate. It's it's an epic amount of work, and we mostly take it for granted. So thank you for highlighting it. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a highlight of this week for sure and in the season. People need to hear your message, and I'm better for it myself. So thanks again. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 